When you start feeling compassion for others, it then starts to extend to you. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have a brilliant and awesome guest to share with you today. His name is Dawson Church. He's an award-winning science writer with three best-selling books to his credit. The Genie in Your Genes was the first book to demonstrate that emotions drive gene expression. Mind to Matter showed that the brain creates much of what we think as objective reality. And his newest book, which is what we're going to talk about today, Bliss Brain demonstrates that peak mental states rapidly remodel the brain for happiness, which, as you know, is very much the chocolate to this show's peanut butter. So I can't wait to dig into this. Dawson's created dozens of clinical trials, founded the National Institute for Integrative Healthcare to promote groundbreaking new treatments. This largest program, the Veteran Stress Project, has offered free treatment to over 20,000 veterans with PTSD over the past decade. He shares how to apply health performance breakthroughs through EFT Universe, one of the largest alternative medicine sites in the world that's on the World Wide Web. And he's also the former president of Family Connections, one of 53 nonprofits named as Points of Light by President Bill Clinton and a member of, he's a member of the Transformational Leadership Council and his books have won dozens of awards. He's been quoted in USA Today, CNN, BBC, the Los Angeles Times, San Francisco Chronicle, parenting and many other national media sites. That's a lot. There's a lot to live up to here, Dawson. (laughs) Welcome to The Daily Helping. It is awesome to have you here. Uh, Dr. Richard, if we have half as much fun on the show, as you and I had before the shows we chatted, we're going to have a great time together. <laughs> I think we are. And, and we're going to help a lot of people too. This is going to be yes. so, so good. So we're definitely going to get into Bliss Brain and we have to. But before I do that, there's a question I want to ask you. And this is kind of what I ask everybody. I like to peel back the layers of the onions and rewind the clock to find out your superhero origin story. How did you get on the path you're on today in which you're helping so many people? Well, my newest book is called This Brain, and I got there in a whole variety of ways via other concepts like epigenetics. Epigenetics initially was the study of how genes were turned on and off by factors from outside the body, like diet. But then behavioral epigenetics and psychological and spiritual epigenetics showed us that our, our inner states, our consciousness, meditation, Positivity, joy, gratitude, especially compassion, all drive gene expression. We're literally turning genes on and off inside our body by our thoughts, by our consciousness, by our beliefs, by our worldviews. All of these intangibles are producing 
measurable effects on our cells. So that was 20 years ago, I began to work with epigenetics intensively, but I got there a long time before by, I got to Blue Brain by being seriously miserable, seriously unhappy. And when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, I was so unhappy. I was, I was suicidal. I didn't want to be here. I was depressed. I was anxious. I was just toxically, traumatically stressed. And so I wanted to figure out how to get out of my predicament. And so I joined a spiritual community when I was 15 years old. I learned to meditate and do spiritual healing and all kinds of learn the perennial philosophy behind the world's great religions. So at 15, 16, 19, I was doing all these activities and getting a little bit better over the next 10 years, 20 years. But then I made the commitment in 2000 to meditate every day. And I've meditated occasionally for the previous 20 years. But then that, that year I said, in fact, I was in a crisis. And I said, from tomorrow morning onward, I will get up at 5.30 a.m. every day and meditate without fail. And I did that. And suddenly everything began to change. I learned to really apply a lot of the energy tools I'd learned as a teenager. And suddenly my money, my love life, my relationship with my two children, my all, all kinds of things in my life began to radically shift. So I got there by being miserable, looking for solutions to my own problems, and then discovering that anybody can do what I did and learn to get dramatically happier than where you are today. You know, it's interesting because you did this at the age of 15. So there's no internet then, right? You didn't have, <laughs> didn't have the ability to, you know, Google something. Uh, so was it a mentor in your life? Like, what was it that connected you to this information? Because as a 15 year old, most 15 year olds are, you know, playing video games or, you know, hanging out with their buddies. You're, you're learning about meditation and energy states and all these things. So how'd you get to that info? It usually does take a mentor. And if you look at the research on people flipping into the sense of well-being, so it's very interesting to look, there's a ton of research on this now. And I do MRI research, I do EEG research. We're talking about hard science here. These may seem like spiritual, esoteric, mystical states, and they are, but they're also states we can measure with advanced tools like high-resolution MRIs. And so what we find is we look at people who, who made the flip, they flipped into the state of bliss brain. Usually there was a mentor. There was a somebody they met and they may have met a spiritual teacher. They may, may have been an inspirational figure. And so uh, mine, when I was 15 years old, was actually the older sister of my best friend in high school. And her name was Wendy Harris. I wish I knew where she was nowadays. It's been 50 years since then. But um, she would sit with me sometimes and explain to me the teachings of Buddhism and advanced spiritual practices. And I'd been raised as a fundamentalist Christian, and this was all complete news to me, that the universe was one, that we could be one with something larger than ourselves. I had no idea of all these concepts. And so Wendy would sit and, and, and talk to me about this, these kinds of, kinds of ideas, and they were revolutionary for me back then, but I didn't really understand them or I couldn't absorb them deeply. And then there were various other people. Uh, most recently, over the last 10 years, Jack Canfield, who's the co-author of the Chicken Soup series and um, the author of the book, Success Principles. And Jack just loves me. And Jack just takes a huge interest in what I do and has nurtured what I do in various ways. And so uh, John Gray uh, has been a really important influence in my life. So then what, what we find is that when you put yourself in the path 
of wisdom. If you have a real desire to grow and shift, you'll meet people. And nowadays, you don't have to meet people in person. You know, back when I was doing S seminars in the 1970s, you sort of went into a, a big auditorium and met people in person. Now, there are a multitude of teachings and they're all available online. So now the ability of people to meet that mentor is enormously expanded from where it was 50 years ago. I love that. And you mentioned uh, John Gray and Jack Canfield. Both of those have been on this show and uh, we'll post in the show show notes uh, links to those episodes if you haven't heard those because those are great. Those are, are two legendary people that have helped transform lives all over the planet and I'm grateful for them to be sure. So let's keep digging deeper into Bliss Brain because we're sitting here at a place in society where misery has never been higher. Fear has never been greater. Uncertainty, it's, and the sources that feed our brain this information, this is not like 1929 when the stock market crashed or 1918 when the Spanish influenza hit. Now we have 24-hour customized information cycles that follow us to every room in the house, on every screen, we're getting bombarded with this negative information and people emotionally are worse off than they've ever been. So talk to us about the science behind how one gets a bliss brain. And I want people to walk away from this episode with ideas as to how they can, how they can get there. Because um, you know this is not an aspirational thing. This is a real thing, and I, I love that you're so science based. So let's let's let it rip. This is great. You can get there. You can change your brain function dramatically. And you're right about the kind of mental health crisis we're in. According to the World Health Organization, rates of depression and anxiety have roughly doubled uh, during the pandemic and the years since the pandemic. And so we are in this huge mental health crisis both in the developed world and in the developing world. And so we're at this moment in history where there are multiple crises and there've always been crises, but the ones we have now seem to be having more of an effect on people's mental well-being than others. So how do you not get enmeshed in this? And one of the, like uh, there in the news recently, we, we've had a lot of focus on Facebook and other social media and how they are focusing our attention on the negative in a spiral. So we give our eyeballs to something, we get served more of that something. If that something is negative news, we get served more of it, driving us greater into greater depression. And then we the spiral just keeps on going, we get served more of it and so on. But think about the um, flip side of that. If you are paying attention, Dr. Richard, to the loving, to the compassionate, to the kind, the things to be grateful for, then you are producing the opposite effect. So my eyeballs go to things that make me happy and grateful. And then I get served more of that by social media. And then I feel happier and more grateful. I get served more of that. So you can actually use this characteristic of social media to drive yourself into an upward spiral as well as downward spiral. And when we study people like Tibetan monks who spent more than 10,000 hours in meditation or Franciscan nuns who spent more than 20,000 hours in prayer and devotion, we see that they have extraordinary levels of happiness. In one of the studies in my book, Whispering, the 
monks, after they enter that compassion state, so again, it's a mental state, it's a mental state of feeling compassion and uh, an emotional state of feeling deep compassion, their gamma brain waves went up by 700%. In fact, I tell the story in real time of the researchers in the control room watching the, the monks, and they, they thought maybe they, their gamma would increase by 30, 40, 50%. That would have been a big increase in gamma. The gamma went up by 700%, which means that you can be 700 times, 700% happier, more grateful, more compassionate than you are today. And it's totally about attention. If you're giving your attention to those things, those things that are good, kind, happy, you build those in your life. And that's really the discipline of meditation, of directing attention, do that, and then you have this positive looping effect, and it is powerful to take control of your own mental and physical well-being and do that deliberately. So there's quite a lot to unpack there, and, and I want to begin uh, first, if you would take us through you know, Brainwaves 101 and, and just explain what the different kind of brainwaves are and why that increase in, in gamma is so, so important in particular, and then I'll dive into my other questions. Well, um, we have several dominant brainwaves in our brains, and one of the other cool things is that they, they correspond to the frequencies and the harmonics of the Earth. So the Earth itself has, um, has that frequency too, and harmonics to that. And when, when, for example, we look at theta waves, delta is the slowest wave, the next slowest is theta. We're in delta and theta during sleep. So we have nothing higher than delta and theta, the two slowest waves when we're asleep. We then start to wake up. We're in that floating state where our brains are in alpha. We move from there into beta and finally into gamma. When we have insight, and so creative people, people in flow have more gamma. And the paths to gamma are twofold. One path is is things that bring you into a high-performance flow state. The other is meditation. Meditation is the one that I teach primarily because it's reliable. It brings you into that, that gamma state. Gamma is also a state in which a phenomenon called binding occurs in the brain. And the reason that creative people are so creative in gamma is that it recruits information from different parts of the brain. So the prefrontal cortex and the parietal lobe and the visual association cortex in the back. And you start to make all these associations. Like I'm, I'm working on a new book right now and it's a very, very difficult book to write because no one's written a book anything like, like this before. And so last night before I went to bed, just drifting off, just moving to that gamma state and then dropping into the slow waves and then having little, little flashes of gamma as well, I suddenly had the answer to a big problem I have to solve in writing the book. So uh, it's a creative state. It's the state found in these monks and nuns, but people can learn to cultivate these states as well. We see that when we analyze the EEGs of people learning these skills, like in a seven day retreat on day one, we'll hook them up to an EEG, we'll measure their ability to enter these states, and they can do it in maybe five minutes, maybe seven minutes, under 10 minutes if they get the, get the right instructions. By day seven, under one minute, and they're having a full-blown mystical experience. So you can train yourself to generate those gamma creative states, those flow states in your own brain. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. 
For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. And flow states, that's a term that is kind of thrown around a lot in the media. I hear flow state all the time. Talk to us about the difference between, you know, being in a state of flow and just being happy. Because I think there, uh-huh. there is a distinction, even though, you know, there's, there's some parallels there. Yeah. And flow is a state, the, the, the term used for this kind of meditation is mindfulness. But the paradox is that actually you aren't in your mind. And the part of the brain that does the most thinking, the, uh, the mid prefrontal cortex and the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex literally goes dark. And so in flow, you lose all sense of time, often all sense of space as well. And you know, it's like you, you're, 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 say, making music, or you're making love, or you're engaged in writing a blog post, and you're totally carried away by creativity. And you look at, you look up in half an hour, an hour, and you have no idea of time passing. That's flow. Happiness is a state you can move into on a daily basis and stay at this really high set point of that kind of, of movement. One woman, she, we, 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 I, I've had meditations that bring you into flow up on the web now for more than 10 years. People just log on and listen to them and do them and, and then enter these states. And this one woman called Tony Tomlinson wrote to us with her story, typical of many others. She said that she was, she, she listened to the, the meditation for the first time and her left brain said, Tony, you're wasting your time. You're so stressed. Your, your cortisol's sky high. You are burned out on life, burned out on parenting. This isn't a work for you. That was her, her approach going into meditation for the first time. And she said, I listened to the meditation you had online. And suddenly, when I got into that flow part of the meditation, tears of gratitude began to roll down my eye, my, my cheeks. And I was at that place I've longed to be for so long. So if you induce flow over and over and over again, your set point for happiness is going to rise and you'll find yourself spontaneously happy many times of the day. Like, I know I, I was in the in line at the grocery store the other day. And there was a long line. And so the, there's this long line. I'm in this long line. I could be impatient. I could be mad that they don't have enough checkout clerks behind the counter. Instead, I just flip into flow flip into happiness, flip into bliss brain, and that's where you spend your time. When you do it systematically, especially if you do it in meditation, especially if the meditation's in the morning, and there, there are a lot of reasons for that. I go into all the brain science and bliss brain behind why. Do it in the morning, do it first thing. But if you do that, then you start to actually change the circuits in your brain. In one of the um, case histories in bliss brain, it's of uh, a man who's a TV reporter and before he began to learn to get to be mindful, he went in with his TV crew into a lab 
and they they recorded him having all these high-resolution MRIs done of every section of his brain, as well as a battery of psychological tests. His name is Graham Phillips. He has this big TV show in Australia called Catalyst. So Graham Phillips had these high-resolution MRIs done of his brain before an eight-week mindfulness meditation program. When he went back after eight weeks, so now he's been getting into flow, he's been meditating, he's been doing that systematically. Eight weeks later, he went back into this sophisticated uh, laboratory. They measured every the volume of every section of his brain again. Some parts of his brain had grown by two or three or four percent in eight weeks. One part grew by 22.8 percent in only two months. And that part is the section of tissue in the center of the brain that manages emotional regulation. It manages getting upset, depressed, anxious, angry, resentful, all these negative emotions. That part of his brain grew by 22.8% in eight weeks. That's how quickly we trigger neural plasticity in our brains. And when you have more, more neural matter in circuits, like the emotion regulation circuit, then when you have an annoying situation, when somebody says something that, that, that is insulting, when your teenage kid does something that, that triggers you, when your husband or wife or your, maybe your parent gets dementia, whatever it might be, your teammates aren't doing well, there's chaos in the world, you, you literally have more neural tissue in the emotion regulation circuit and you're able to regulate those emotions, then you propel yourself not just into, into occasional flow, but into long-term happiness. And you're talking about the limbic system, and this is so good. One of the things that I always would tell patients as an analogy, I learned this uh, from, from a mentor on my internship, is consider things like a bucket, right? And every stressor in your life puts more water in the bucket. And when we don't have good emotional regulation, it doesn't take much, it just takes maybe another drop and it all spills over. You're describing the science behind how to get some of that water out of our bucket, or maybe a better way of saying that is making our buckets bigger yes. so that we can, we can tolerate what life throws at us. So I, I, I'm loving this so much, Dawson. And you've, you've said a couple of things that really intrigued me. Certainly the, the 700% of gamma is striking. You mentioned people coming to these retreats and that, you know, after a week of it, they can get into the state much more rapidly. The one thing that, that struck me as most fascinating is you stated your grocery store example, right? Because it's one thing to sit in your house, light some candles, turn off lights, and, and listen to a meditation. It's another thing to trigger, right? You're to trigger the response yes. instantaneously in a stressful setting to flip those neurological switches, to flip those neural pathways and say, okay, this is cool. I'm going to react in a in a calm and blissful way. Talk to us with as specific examples as you can about techniques and things that people can do so that they can learn to trigger that response in real time as opposed to a negative emotional response. So you feel negative emotion. And in chapter two of this brain, I go into why. We are meant to feel negative emotion and we are meant to get stressed. And our brains have a huge amount of neurological machinery to make us stressed. We pay attention to that which is stressful. And that's how our ancestors survive. So our ancestors didn't survive by being happy and 
compassionate, kind, and grateful, they survived by being paranoid. I was watching the birds outside my window when I was having breakfast this morning, and there's one, there's one bird on the feeder, and the bird was pecking away at the seed and was looking up, looking around, looking down, pecking away the seed some more. And I, when I eat, I try and do mindful eating. I'm tasting every bite. And here is the bird, is pecking away at the bird seed, looking around, pecking away the bird, the opposite of mindful eating. Because if the bird was eating mindfully, then there's a cat down below that occasionally jumps up and grabs a bird. There's a hawk up above, which occasionally flies down and grabs a bird. Uh, it, you, you're dead. If you were mindful, you were dead. Our ancestors were in, a, in an environment where if they were mindful, they, they just died. So all of those happy genes were weeded from the gene pool. And we wound up with really suspicious human beings who were, who were really oriented to the negative. That's, that's what our orientation is. And we have all this equipment in our brain, especially the mid prefrontal cortex of the limbic system that really orients us to the negative. So what we see in the MRI scans of these monks and nuns is that when they meditate, that part of the brain turns off. The brain's, why I call in the book, the brain's fire alarm, the amygdala, which sends the fight or flight response down into the body. It's the last part of our nervous system that is, when it's triggered, sends the signal down into the body to go into stress mode. In these monks and nuns, the amygdala over time atrophies. It atrophies. Now, the studies show that the nucleus accumbens atrophies. It atrophies. The nucleus accumbens is the center of addictive cravings. So, you know, it's our craving for chocolate and alcohol and drugs, all this stuff. Uh, that part of these monks and nuns' brains literally atrophies. They're not craving, they're not stressed. So, massive neurological shifts in their brains. That's the stuff that down regulates. What up regulates? There are four parts of the brain that are tremendously important in this. One is the sense of self, the sense of I am a human being, I have, I have a body, this is my life, I'm worried about the future or the past. So that part of the brain down-regulates. That's, that's, that's the selfing, the self-absorption system down-regulates these people. The attention circuit comes on. They're paying attention. They're paying a, attention really effectively to the positive. In, and positive emotions. The emotion regulation system is dialed way up so they can regulate those little odd bursts of negative emotion that come up. And the, finally thing, the final thing, the final brain system that comes online is the compassion system. And this is in a part of the brain called the insula. It's such a big part that it's almost regarded as the fifth lobe of the neocortex. And so the insula is totally lit up the compassion system is lit up. So they, these monks and nuns have now dialed down the functioning of all the parts of the brain that are gonna make people unhappy and miserable. And they've dialed up these four brain regions that enable people to be happy and grateful and compassionate. And so they're just bathed in the sea of well-being. Not only that, the parietal lobe down-regulates, which locates you in space. It's responsible, like I'm picking up my glass of water now, without me actually looking at the glass of water. That's because my parietal lobe is active. Part of the brain shuts down. So they're drifting in this timeless, spaceless infinity. They're having surges of neurochemicals like oxytocin, responsible for bonding and love, of neurochemicals like 
like serotonin and dopamine, anandamide, all of these pleasurable neurochemicals, and they are in this brain. So they are able to train themselves into those brain states, and you can do that too. When you breathe, just if you're stressed, just move to your heart, move to your breath, and then feel your body. Now you're coming back into a relationship with your body. Just that is enough to shift you. So when you do this over and over and over again, you entrain yourself to that response. And gradually there are stressors, but now you've entrained yourself to feeling good. You've shut down the stress brain. You've upregulated, dialed up the bliss brain functioning of your, your brain. And now that becomes your habitual way to approaching things. So bad stuff happens. In the book, I tell about bad things that have happened to me. I mean, my house burned down in a wildfire. In fact, uh, two days from now will be the fourth anniversary of being woken up in the middle of the night by my by my wife, and we just had to run out and just literally throw out clothes, run out to the car, and drove out through the flames. And um, it was it was a period of two years of unbelievable turmoil in our lives, losing everything we had. So we've had our fair share of challenges. But if you are resilient, if you are centered, if you have these tools, then you are able to withstand the wildfire, losing all your possessions. We lost all our money. We lost our retirement savings. Everything a lot of bad things happened in the, in the year after the fire. Seemingly bad things, but there's an image that I have in this brain of um, a friend snuck in past the National Guard two days after the fire, because we didn't know for sure the house had, had burned. So our friend took photographs and texted them to us. And there's one image that's just like this dominant image for me of the fire. And the, the photograph she sent back showed concrete slabs and ash. Just everything was ash. Everything had burned down. Our office building had burned down. The garages had burned down. The cars had melted because the fire was so intense. It was just the scene of devastation. And then one image he sent back was remarkable to me. And it showed in the middle of the office where the, the concrete slab where the office had been, there was just ash, ash where the computers and everything had burned up. But there was one thing left intact in that middle of that ash. And that was a statue, a big statue of the Buddha. And what had happened is the Buddha statue had been stuck in the back of a closet many years before. People had piled files on top of it. Uh, we'd forgotten about the Buddha being there. And then the whole office burned down. And the only thing that survived, I'm looking at it right now, is this beautiful statue of the Buddha in the ashes. And the metaphor for me, Dr. Richard, was that compassion cannot burn, love cannot burn, kindness cannot burn gratitude cannot burn. All of these things are transcendent and they, everything just disappears in chaos and flames around you. And yet all the important stuff in life is still there. That's resilience. So that's what I write about in this brain. And I write about how to grow a brain. So when you have the divorce or the financial crash or the pandemic or the job loss, you are a resilient human being because you've grown all of those neural fibers in your brain. I love that. And, you know, I'm, I'm picking and pulling pieces of, of these pearls of wisdom you've shared with us. So I've heard to obviously focus on gratitude and positive things. I've heard breathe, breathe into your heart, breathe into yourself. One I didn't expect to hear was 
mindful eating. But I think that speaks to being aware of one's senses and one's surrounding from all different types of input. So I love this. I wish that we had more time. We have, you know, talk about time, right? I looked down at the clock and I said, oh my God, <laughs> it feels like we've been talking for five minutes, but but That's here flow. we are. That's right. We, we have been in a state of flow together. So I'm very grateful for that. And so, as you know, Dawson, I ask everybody who comes on the daily help in a single question, and that is, what is your biggest helping that one most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today? Love yourself, love and accept yourself the way you are. So much of our attempt to change and improve ourselves is based on self-criticism. You should lose weight, you should quit smoking, you should earn more money, you should work harder, you should spend more time with your kids, you should blah, 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 blah. We have this inner coach and critic just criticizing us all the time. And that voice is so incredibly unhelpful. It's located right over here between our eyebrows. It's called the mid prefrontal cortex. And what we see in these monks and nuns is it shuts down. So you want to learn to shut down that voice. Uh, the things I teach, like acupressure, we have an acupressure, acupressure routine that just reduces that level of self-chatter. To just love yourself and then feel compassion for yourself. When you start feeling compassion for others, it then starts to extend to you. And you do stupid things sometimes. You say stupid things and th things don't work out well. And you just say, I love you. You're doing your best. So that's the place to start is unconditional self-love for you, no matter if you don't have the body you want, don't have the money you want, don't have the love life or the relationship or the marriage you want or the life circumstances or the job you want. Just love and accept yourself just the way you are. And then when you love yourself the way you are, that is the pivot point for change. It's a paradox that you have to love yourself imperfect as you are in order for change to begin. But when you do that, suddenly change starts to happen. So the crucial thing to do is simply to love yourself the way you are. I love it. I love everything you just said. This is awesome. Dawson, where can people learn about you online and get their hands on, on Plus Brain? Well, thanks to a really generous gift from the publisher. The book is available free at blissbrain.com. You pay shipping and handling, but the book is free at blissbrain.com. Go there. There are also eight free meditations there. And I really want people to do that. The other thing we didn't talk about, because we're going to be, we, uh, this, this is a big discussion, but um, we did two clinical trials that show that if you do the meditations on that site, that you have a rise in these molecules called immunoglobulins. And these are antibodies that attach to viruses and immobilize them. So we've got these two clinical trials. I then made a meditation that uses the learning from those two clinical trials in a meditation. And that meditation, the immunity meditation, is that's at tapping, T-A-P-P-I-N-G, tappinggift.com. So go there, get the immunity meditation, use the meditation. It's really powerful to meditate in this way. It lowers cortisol, it then boosts your levels of immunoglobulins, and it's well worth having that increased level of immunity. So those, those two places, Bliss Brain for the book, Tapping Gift for the Immunity Meditation. Perfect. And we'll have links to those at the show notes 
for Dawson's episode at thedailyhelping.com. Well, this has been fantastic, Dawson. Thanks so much for coming on the show. This was a beautiful episode. It was a real pleasure. And I want to just inspire people to actually take advantage of these tools and then practice them every day. So everyone listening, you can say thank you by practicing those tools every day. There you are. Amen. I love it. And as I said, thanks, Dawson. This was some great wisdom he shared with us today. But I also want to take this moment to thank each and every one of you who chose to listen to this episode. And if you like what you heard today, go give us a follow on Apple Podcasts because that is what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, and I know Dawson's research will support this, go out there today and do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others.